Good morning and welcome to Coffee with the Sarlows. I'm Kelly. Good morning. I'm Karen. We are finishing up Men's Month mm-hmm. this, uh, this month and just to recap, we've had three wonderful guests here talking about different issues for men. Um, the first week we had Dan Largen talking about parenting. The second week we had Eric Trelevin talking about music, uh, memory, and all kinds of things in the brain. Mm-hmm. We also had uh, the wonderful MJ Forgette talking about men's pelvic health. Yeah. So if you are interested, you can always go back into the archives of Coffee with the Sarlos and have a listen. Um, but today we are presenting some of the men that we've come across in our practice. Yeah, both dead and alive. And I think you made the comment before we started taping, oh my gosh, they're almost always alive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, most of them actually okay. are, are, are still alive. Well, that's exciting. <laughs> Um, because we've made the comments to each other, uh, kind of before and after treatments. Oh man, what a wonderful man. Too bad he's dead. Yeah. You know, I've, I've learned so much from the men who have crossed over mm-hmm. and, and like in how they lived their lives, how they loved people, how they were truth seeking, um, uh, and, and through kindness, I don't just mean telling the truth, like, here it is, suck it up. I, I don't mean like in... Oh, gentle. Yeah. With 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 uh, an emotional intelligence that went behind that, mm-hmm. as opposed to, here, I'm just going to tell you the truth and bully you through something. Mm-hmm. You know, there's such a difference. I've learned so much from them. And I think, you know, this is really important. Obviously, we've been focusing the whole month on this, uh, but we're, we're recording this show um, the day after... Trump just passed the bill about abortion and having no access to it um, for the U.S. and other countries. Mm -hmm. And we're, you know, we're at this kind of height of fear uh, in North America about women's rights being taken away. Um, But, you know, we're focusing on good men. Mm -hmm. The point of this is not to to bring up women's issues, but to actually focus on what good men are doing. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you and I decided to do this before any of this stuff was coming down. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so let's start with our first person who mm-hmm. was a friend of yours in university. Yeah. Um, and we'll call him Nate. Uh, well, actually, we've already re- introduced him as Knock. No, this one is alive. Oh. <laughs> I have a live friend? <laughs> <laughs> yes, Kelly. Okay. This this is the story. I'll prompt you and you can tell sure. it. This is when you were at a friend's place and needed a walk home in the dark. Oh, yes. Okay. Um, so I was in first year university, sorry, pardon me, second year university. I was in my first apartment and I had been, um, over at a friend's place to two young men who lived together. And I think it was just, you know, past 1130, 12 o'clock. It was in the winter and it was very dark, obviously. And I had turned to Nate at the end of the night and said, could you please walk me home? And he looked at me and he goes, No. And I just remember being like just flabbergasted because I heard all of your stories from high school where the group of men in in your friend group walked every single one of the women home, Mm -hmm. no matter how far they lived. It was just assumed that that's what happened. Um, So I remember not knowing how to really handle the no. And so I just asked why, right? I love questions. And he said that he was very afraid to be out by himself at night because he was afraid of being jumped again. And it had never dawned on me that men feared being out at night by themselves. I thought that was a women's issue mm-hmm. uh, because we're taught to be afraid. Uh, so I had no idea that those thoughts crossed a man's mind. So I remember him turning to his best friend and roommate at the time saying, 
would you come with me to walk Kelly home? So the two of them actually walked me together. Mm -hmm. Uh, And yeah, that was a big lesson for me. Um, Just in not seeing men as, um, I don't want to, I want to say this gently. There wasn't a lack of strength. I just saw them as human, I suppose, Mm -hmm. Um, where there, where fear existed too. Oh. And that it wasn't as, like I said, it wasn't a separate issue of gender. Yeah, and and I that's one one of the reasons why I thought that story could be brought up today, mm-hmm. because men might not want to play a sport that's physical where they're going to get beaten either. Right. And just because they're a guy doesn't mean that as soon as you put on soccer cleats or uh, ice skates or I don't know I can't think of different sports, but um, that it does it doesn't mean for every single male that because they're a male, they're okay with the fact that they have to fight. Mm-hmm. Or like you said, that they have to um, walk home, but that they have the same and can have some of the same fears that we all experience. And I think important to note, regardless of body structure, yeah. because Nate had a slight frame, and but it was very, very fit. Yeah. Um, and his, his friend and roommate had more of a rugby kind of um, broad shoulders and, and kind of thick all around, uh, very like tough. Right. Right. Um, and yet still, still both very intimidated by dark and potential threats. Right. Which might be, somebody might say yes, and that might be a group of other men or another, another person. But after we've seen the news, we know that women are capable of violence as well. Absolutely. And groups of men and women together. We're certainly seeing that. So mm-hmm. um, that, that I, I like the fact that you brought that up though, Kelly, because it just, it shifted a, a way of thinking for me that made it more um, being, being willing to see and more open to see even in my own son or in other men, my own age yeah. to ask better questions first mm-hmm. and not to make some assumptions because they're males, or I think that they feel safer that women do. Right. So it brought me back into, I have to ask questions before I can know something. Yeah. And I, I think, oh, I appreciated um, a couple of things in that situation. Most, most of what you just uh, mentioned, but also that he had the ironic, ironically, the confidence to say no, Mm -hmm. um, which I thought was fantastic and, and also humble enough and, and strong enough to admit why. Uh, and then to also seek out another male to say, will you come with me? Will mm-hmm. you will you support me? And to watch their friendship, you know, mm-hmm. um, where they, they really had each other's back. Mm-hmm. I remember you, you, were, you brought up earlier about the stories that I told you about when the group of friends that I was in, um, all of the girls got walked home at night by the guys. And the guys were in a group as well, most often. But sometimes if there was one one male, um, he did walk all of us home. And I don't know if other people would say, oh, yeah, our friends were like that, too, or if that was just something that our group did. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, but just going back to that, how safe those men, those young men, we were just in high school then. So they would have been like 14. So somebody might say, well, they're not men. Maybe they're young boys or older boys. But at that age that they were willing to to work hard to make the women and the young women in that group feel safe. And that at that time, we were working hard to help each other feel safe. Mm-hmm. 
Well, and I know um, recently you were at uh, a funeral for one of those men. Sorry, yeah. a funeral for one of those men's mothers. Yes, and it was late. You had gone to the wake, I think, just before it ended. Yeah, uh, around nine. Yeah. and he said, "Come on, Karen, I'll walk you to your car." Yeah, he yeah he did. He said, "Where's your car?" <laughs> and I said, "Oh, it's out back." And it was nine o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. And he said, "Come on, I'll walk you out." And it was um, that again was something that I remember coming home and laying in bed and crying mm-hmm. out of gratitude and and um, feeling safe again, bringing me back to that, especially, I think, now at a time when we're, we're not feeling safe anymore. So maybe today it's something for people to think about, both male and female. Um, what do we do to make each other feel safe? Mm-hmm. And And sometimes, like I said, is it a question? Is it something like, what do you need? Or do you know, where's your car? Whatever it is, it doesn't mean every person and every woman wants to be walked to their car in the dark. That does it doesn't mean that I've got girlfriends that walk to the car right here in my own driveway by themselves and don't feel that way. Mm -hmm. I don't mean that it has to be that particular situation. And only females feel that we're trying to say, both sexes can feel fear. Both sexes want to feel safe. And how do we ask each other questions to ensure that we both feel that? Mm -hmm. I know um, anyone who's been at our place and is leaving past dark, I'll say to them, I'm going to watch you go to your car. Yeah. Um, Both male and female. Yeah. uh, No matter what time of night it is, as long as it's after dark. Uh, You know, we back our property onto bush and there there is wildlife. Yeah. Um, But, you know, you just never know. And I think it there's a feeling of safety when you know that eyes are on you. And that, you know, you slip and fall on ice and someone's there to know that you're on the ground and need help. Yeah. Um, It's just that there's um, a communication of caring by saying, I'm going to watch you till I know that you're on your way. Well, we have little boards in the house, uh, chalkboards that say you are safe. Mm -hmm. And it's um, I think it's just a kind reminder for each of us to check in as to what does the other person need to feel safe. Mm-hmm. It's not saying, I think I know and I'll do it for you. That's why I said to ask good, emotionally intelligent questions yeah. to ask the other person what they need to feel that. That can even go to an exam. What do you need to feel safe while writing your exam today? Mm-hmm. What do you need to feel safe? Because that can remove the anxiety. You know, this is, and I don't know, you can tell me if this is appropriate or relevant. I remember doing my stats exam at Nipissing University when I moved home for a year and sitting down in the desk and having an absolute panic attack in the first like two minutes of the exam. I had studied my ass off. I had good grades. I was completely prepared. Being an empath, I was sitting in a gym full of like 500 people all writing exams. So you can imagine the anxiety. And I blanked. I completely shut down and I remember my professor walking uh, behind me, which again, odd because it's an entire gymnasium. And I just remember wishing so badly that I could look at him and say, can you just put your hand on my back for two seconds? I just needed a hand on my back to remind me that I was safe. Um, And yet in those situations, you don't feel they're appropriate. I'm sure it probably would have gone both ways. Um, but that's all I needed. I just mm-hmm. needed human contact for someone to look at me and go, it's okay, just take a breath. Mm-hmm. And there are certain situations where we really know and are aware of the fact that we can't ask for what we need to feel mm-hmm. safe. Mm-hmm. And I think that brings a lot of sadness to people. 
Well, and that's going to come back up again in our fifth person this morning okay. in military situations right. and feeling safe and being able to ask for what you need mm -hmm. versus that that's going to be seen as a weakness. Right. Okay. So we'll go on to the second one. Mm -hmm. um, oh, the second one, Kelly, is an author, Ian Kerner, uh -huh. uh, author of the book, She Comes First. Um, and w w I picked him. Um, I'll start with this one a little bit, but we can go back and forth. I picked this one because this is a male author, or male rather, who writes to men. Right. So from one ma male to another male um, on sex. And this book is about sex with a female. So we'll be clear about that in case there are men that hear that and that's not their choice. Right. That's not their preference. But this is for... Um, I'll say, I'll, I'll say the way he writes it is for men who are choosing to have sex with females and it's to to educate them. So there is language in the book to educate them, but there are also diagrams in the book to educate them as well mm -hmm. um, about female anatomy and about um, sexual pleasure. Right. In particular, um, oral sex. Mm -hmm. So he taught it's not just about that, though, but it is about anatomy. And so I thought he was a good person to bring up today because, well, we are book lovers. Yeah, and, and we, sex lovers. And yes, and we love to educate people. So there's a, a variety of things in there. He mm -hmm. does it with a sense of humor. I know. I remember walking into several different rooms of the house and hearing you laugh. Oh, yeah. Um, at his analogies. Oh, yes. And he also brings up really wonderful issues. And one of them just I want to share today um, and if this is for anybody listening, this could be a mo one of those moments why they listen to the show. Their, their fingers hovering on the pause button. Yeah. Um, he says very directly to men, they do not have the right to get up and to leave sex if she has not had an orgasm first. Mm -hmm. That it is their responsibility as partners that she has an orgasm as well if she chooses to. Mm -hmm. So this is if she chooses to. We want to be clear that not every woman wants to or chooses to every time. Although some women might listen to that and go, what the hell? Of course they do. I, but they don't. Okay. And, and maybe, maybe they get to that place where they recognize they actually do. Mm -hmm. But that they've never had a partner that gets them there. Mm -hmm. And he actually offers quite a bit of stats on how low the percentage is for women who actually have orgasms. And the fact that most women fake it. Mm -hmm. And so there's there's a tremendous amount of honesty in his book. Um, and he actually teaches men to find out the fakers. Oh, that's good. The fakers. So he actually tells them how they can know the difference. Mm -hmm. And that's that's a great thing. Because, boy, if you're a woman listening to this and you've been a faker... And your husband sitting across or your partner, whoever, yeah. female, another female, whatever, sitting up in your home and listening to this podcast, and you're going to get called out, two things might be happening. One, you might be scared shitless. And two, you might be relieved. Yeah. You might be so relieved that this could, this could turn things today. Hopefully stimulating conversation. Exactly. To be, and that's the reason, that's one of the reasons I picked him as one of our men today because there's something also safe in and has to be in sex and in sexual encounters oral vaginal rectal whatever they are that 
if you don't feel safe, how can you? How can you orgasm? Yes. Yeah. It's, it's very difficult because we had MJ here talking about those pelvic floor muscles trying to relax. Mm-hmm. And the same issues for men. How do they relax pelvic floor muscles and be able to engage and really enjoy sex? Well, that was the opposite. Right. Tighten. Men have to tighten. Men yeah. have to tighten. Women have to relax. But men have to relax rectally as well yeah. if they're the receiver. Mm-hmm. So this conversation goes all around again. Um, another issue of, of being safe in relationships. Mm-hmm. To communicate everything. Mm-hmm. And he talks about that all through the book, how you communicate, the types of questions you ask. You can't ask a good question if you don't know the names of the parts. Mm-hmm. If you don't know the function of them, if you don't know what they're supposed to feel like or what the woman or the male is supposed to feel, and in this case, what the woman is supposed to feel, if it's healthy. Mm-hmm. And sometimes women don't know. Right. They don't know. We could have a, uh, a, an 18-year-old or a 50-year-old woman listening to this show who has no idea. Mm-hmm. I think it's both, both partners' responsibilities to be educated. That's right. And that's his point. And that's why... I'm bringing up his name and his book today because it's basically saying to both sexes, you are equally responsible to get your education in some way. Well, maybe what we can do is just provide the link on Amazon where they can just buy the book. Oh, we can do that. I like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And Kelly, I went on Amazon to check that out. And right beside his book, you know, when they say other people are buying other books, yeah. there are other ones that are educational. Our website has also uh, put up other books, mm-hmm. um, The Guide to Getting It On. Um, we, have, we have listed other books and other authors trying to educate people about the importance of a sexual education. You know what? One of the best resources I've found uh, across the internet is um, Pleasure Mechanics. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I'll provide a link for that as well. They have an excellent podcast. Uh, it's two women, and their podcast is called Speaking of Sex. Uh, they have over 200 shows. They are extremely educational, and much like this one, uh, it's generated all by people's questions. Oh, good. Uh, and it's all focused on education. It's very conversational. It's not, um, I mean, it's academic in the sense that it's very well well researched and, and they're very well educated, but it's conversational like this. Oh, I love it. Yeah. So okay. lots of laughter and lots of, lots of good uh, analogies and images. Okay. Are we ready to go on to our third male? Mm-hmm. Oh, our third male is one of my clients, um, uh, a male um, who is um, paralyzed. He, he is unable to communicate verbally. Um, there's, there, there's quite a challenge for him in communicating. He has parents who, who try very hard. He has um, a whole team. So there's a huge team because of his inabilities to move his body, to eat, to speak, um, to swallow, to do all kinds of things that most of us just consider easily done in a day. Mm-hmm. And um, the reason he came through for me as one of my, oh, he's one of my most favorite men ever in my whole life. Mm-hmm. He has impacted my life and changed it um, in a million ways. And I pick, I, it was hard to pick one way that I wanted to share with listeners today. But this is what I picked. Um, he has an amazing mom. Uh, and I say that in so many ways because she tries her best to honor him all the time. As a man. As a man. And she um, she has to shave him. And now since this time, she may 
I don't know everything, but I know what came through one day. So there can be a whole lot more to this story than just what I'm telling. But he told me one day, uh, telepathically, that he wished his dad would shave him. He wished his dad would put the beard oil on when he's growing a beard or a mustache. And I know the mom does it with tremendous care, with tremendous love, with a thought as to what he likes, checking in with him as best she can, what he wants, if he wants to be clean shaven, or if it's no November, if he wants the mustache, <laughs> like she does all of these things, and he can give her little signs to give her yeses and nos. So she honors each of the things that he does in a day, and, or, and that he wants as the seasons change or what everybody else is doing around him. But he wanted his dad to do that. And he wanted the connection with his dad. He wanted the touch of a male. He wanted um, he wanted certain things just to be able to share those experiences with his dad. Right. And it wasn't an anti-mom thing. Thank or you. An That's anti, just what I was going to do. He, yeah, he wasn't an anti-female or um, I have too many females, uh, you know, home care workers around me. He does yeah. have, he has male ones as well. He just wanted the dad energy. Well, you know, and going along with what you're saying, because it's not anti-female. Yes. It's that he does have an opportunity right there because his dad is present. Yes. So why wouldn't it come from dad? Yeah. And it was just choice. So this was something I, re I really liked because, like you say, he's got choices of both. Both people love him. It could easily be a female. It could as easily be a male. But it's, it's a bonding. It's a, it's a being touched by a man. That's the point. Thank you. Yeah. I, I, I wanted to get to that point without people being able to pick it apart. Right. I wanted people to understand that it was coming just from the intention of, I know I have choices and I'm respecting both. He just wanted male touch. He wanted a, the dad experience. Yeah. And just how much that kind of goes back into Dan Large's talk. Yeah. Where he was talking about touching his young sons and where he and his male friends in their 30s and 40s or 20s, still hug each other. Mm -hmm. And bringing up that, as you were, you're saying the male bond, but that it does include touch. Yeah. And if you have, if you are fortunate enough to have that father presence or father like presence, then of course you crave that. It's a different kind of emotion uh, or emotional connection. It's a different kind of affection. Uh, and it teaches you to behave with others in a different way as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did we do him justice? I hope so. And I hope I did the mom justice. Yeah, I uh, think so. Oh, I think good. if someone's going to pick that apart, they're picking up, they're picking apart anything. Okay. Yeah. I want, okay. I'm we'll not going to we'll go over Taylor that. Taylor Swift them. Oh, uh, Taylor Swift them. Shake it off. I don't oh. know. <laughs> okay. It's early. Okay. Our fourth goes back to you. This is knock? Yes. Okay. You can start that one if you want. And I can jump into Kelly, why we picked knock. It had to. Are you good? Yeah, I'm just, I'm kind of recalling the notes that you and I had made a couple of weeks ago and why we wanted to choose him. But actually, Nock, um, Nock was actually one of those men uh, who I was walking home from one of the high schools where we played volleyball uh, back in Ottawa. And it was like a 10 minute walk for me. It was under a very busy bridge by the University of Ottawa. If anyone knows the area, um, it, you know, there's foot traffic all the time. It goes from Sandy Hill to, uh, 
I can't, I can't remember the area, but like Lee's Avenue. Um, so it's always busy any time of day or night. Um, and he saw me walking home from one of the games in the dark during winter. He pulled the car over and he told me to get in. Oh. And uh, I didn't know him well then. We had only played a couple of games together, but, you know, he was just an absolutely lovely, lovely man. And uh, he goes, you need to be safe. Get in the car. And, uh, you know, safe in a lot of different ways. It was it was winter and it was icy and the snowbanks were high and the sidewalks were slushy. And I think there was just a, a walking safety, uh, but then a nighttime safety, a female safety, all kinds of things. And he wasn't, I didn't feel less than. He never made me feel like I couldn't take care of myself. It was just, if I'm here, why wouldn't I? Mm. You know, and I... Maybe that goes hand in hand with uh, with the previous story of if I'm here, why wouldn't I? I like that, Kelly, because there are so many men and women who do have to walk in the dark by themselves yeah. to and from everywhere. And I say everywhere because that is their mode of transportation. Mm-hmm. It is their feet. Um, and so um, not just, as you say, he just came through as a human at that point. Yeah. Because um, he was alive. Uh, to be able to... Um, to be able to offer something. And again, remember we were saying about asking the questions. Yeah. And I think too, he knew I was new to the city. Aww. So I think back to, you know, two nights ago here in North Bay, um, I was walking home from Eric's place and I chose to leave at night and I was with Parker and he said, well, don't be, don't be crazy. I'll drive you home. And I said, no, I, I need the fresh air. I need the walk. And that was a conscious choice. And that was a conversation that he and I had um, where both of us felt safe with the decision. Um, you know, and I picked my streets st- uh, strategically. Uh, but, you know, that was a different situation with Knock, uh, being new to the city and, and just wanting to make sure that I was okay. Mm-hmm. And I, I definitely uh, deeply appreciated that. Well, I'm going to continue with Knock. Yeah. We, we went on, or you and I, talking about him because he was also your friend who passed away from suicide. Yes. And that he then became one of my guides mm-hmm. to help me so that each time somebody would come to see me as a medium, if not came and walked into the treatment room that I could see him in the spirit world, I knew that they had somebody who had suicided. Right. So, and that became a huge tool for me as a medium. I could be at the mall and if all of a sudden somebody walked past me in the mall and I saw a knock spirit walk behind them Mm -hmm. then I knew that either they were thinking of suicide or that someone in their family had suicided right and he he helped me tremendously be positive yeah he helped me so some people would come in and say I need to know what my dad died of I know what the police are saying or I know what so-and-so told me can you tell me can you ask my dad and confirm and, and confirm for me and if Nock was standing in the room, I'd say easily, oh, he's, that's, he's suicided. And I'm, sorry, I've also, um, I have a similar uh, frame of reference with him. And I've also seen him in the room shaking his head. Right. Saying, nope, I'm not with this person. That's right. I brought up Nock today, Kelly, because of uh, it being men's month and thinking to Nock as a male who felt isolated in some way. Mm-hmm. Um that um, it was important to bring up suicide among males is higher than females. Yep. Um, and is that because men feel isolated? It, does it, is it because they don't have an opportunity, and not all of them, 
but do some men feel they don't have an opportunity or a place to express what they feel? Mm-hmm. Do they have to, we did a show before this month, even started called Man Up. Do they feel that it's seen as weak if they're saying that they're depressed, angry, expressing emotions, um, not not feeling maybe that going to a counselor is more of a female thing to do than a male thing. Yeah. And I'm not saying that that's accurate, but do they feel it's sucky? Do they feel getting help or, or trying to express how they feel is seen more as acceptable for, for women to do? Especially, I think sometimes like for men who are grieving, are they supposed to just sort of suck it up and get past it? Or can men sit in that longer and say, um, that they're de- not depressed, but that they're grieving. Mm-hmm. And is it is for some people, are they given medication as antidepressants right off the bat, as opposed to feeling the feelings around grieving? Right. And we did an entire show on depression versus grieving. Yes. Um, yeah, I think, you know, there's there's a whole lot of misconceptions about what it is to be a man, which is the entire reason for this month. Um, and I think, I think of the words man up and I just see a rock and I think a lot of men think they're supposed to be a rock, emotionless and strong. Uh, and that's not what a rock is, right? And in the metaphorical sense, that's not, that's not what your person does for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I read a really nice quote today. It said, I realize that if I'm strong enough to feel my pain, then I'm strong enough to do something with it. Oh, Perfect. But the the problem being that most people don't sit in their pain long enough to feel it. Exactly. Can I kind of also, or no, I also want to add to that, that that's why we do what we do. Uh-huh, that's why as mediums and energy healers, we want to be able to sit with people in that pain. Mm-hmm. When they come to see us and we're connecting people that, to the people who have crossed over, we're not rushing them through it. Mm-hmm. We're allowing them to feel it in the room. Absolutely. And it doesn't even have to have anything to do with someone who's crossed over. I think about the young man that came to see me and I said, you were severely physically abused as a child. Mm -hmm. And he sat and wept and just kept apologizing. And I said, no, this is where tears happen. Mm -hmm. This is where it's safe to feel all of it, knowing that you're not going to re-experience anything. Well, and this is where the crazy making ends. You don't, you don't get to apologize for crying or feeling for feeling something. Yes. This is where the crazy making has to stop. And there has to be there have to be places and people that are strong enough to say the crazy making has stopped here. Mhm. Cuz then you can actually make sense of your feelings. And I know a lot of people will say that's contradictory, but that is uniting the left and right brain is making sense of the feeling. Yeah. Right? And then being not compartmentalizing, but being able to know uh, what to do with it, how to move forward. Mm-hmm. Knock was a huge uh, game changer. Yeah. Uh, and especially, I kind of want to shift gears here, um, in removing the judgment from suicide. Uh, I remember him coming through, and this is in, in his podcast too, but if, if you haven't heard uh, it already, um, he was talking about feeling limited, uh, that he wanted to move at such a speed the human body wouldn't let him, so he felt trapped. Uh, he felt confined in this body. And, you know, how do you really put that into words? I mean, I, I've tried a little bit, but I don't think it really does the feeling justice. Um, that feeling of not really belonging here on this planet, which I think everyone can identify with. Um, 
and he just he just decided to go and he was loved he was well loved he was well liked mm-hmm. um and it was just his time mm-hmm. and i think he knew that that's very interesting um to add or and to go back a little bit again or to repeat knock brought up grieving for men mm-hmm. and do they grieve differently because they're male or do we all grieve the same because we're humans and because of that do we allow men and do men give themselves permission to go through that process or do they race themselves through it a little quicker thinking that they've got to for some reason or that they don't get to share it remember andrew saying one day when a friend's dad passed away that all the guys got together and cried yeah and they all sat in one guy's house and they reminisced and they all cried together. Mm-hmm. And I think I was so happy to hear that. And that was a group of young men at about 24 years old. Yes. And I, and I, I love it. I hope if people are hearing that out there, that, um, that hear that men are doing that, young men, how healthy it is. Mm-hmm. And how, how do we come around and support all those men for yeah. feeling that? So well, even afterwards, when Andrew's telling me that, because the, sport, the, the support has to continue. So when he tells me that, my response was, that's so good, Andrew. Yeah, and I do remember in that specific situation, it was not a suicide. It was, it was a very, very fast heart attack. Yeah. Um, and one of their friends in that group is a paramedic. Mm-hmm. And he was not working that day. And I remember him saying to the friend who's, uh, who lost his stepdad, he said, I'm so sorry I wasn't there. I'm so sorry I, I couldn't do anything. Mm-hmm. And the, the man who had lost his stepfather said, I'm so glad you weren't there. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad that you didn't have to see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, because there literally was nothing anyone could do. Yeah. And the paramedics had said that even if someone was if someone was standing right next to him, there wouldn't have been time. It was right. that fast. And I just I think for for one of those men to express their sadness and their regret not having been able to do something and then for another man to comfort the other saying I'm glad you weren't there to witness and be traumatized by it. Um there's just there's so much there's so much um different dynamics in that group uh in in how they were able to express for each other and for themselves. Well, when you bring in the whole group conversation around that, Kelly, I think about people in the military, I think about people in hospitals, whether male and female, do we expect that uh, if it's in a hospital and there's nurses and doctors of all genders, do we expect more emotions out of the female or is it more allowable than the men? Mm-hmm. Or if it's a male doctor and they, they've lost a patient, is it okay for him to express his anger or disappointment or sorrow that he couldn't have saved that life Mm -hmm. or changed that life as much as we accept it maybe from a female it like can people sit back in that and question themselves today Mm -hmm. can they can they maybe notice their own responses to something like that as employers or as co-workers or if it's your own spouse that comes home at the end of the day and maybe that's their career Maybe we think all paramedics should just not ever feel any of that. It's just the job. And it's like, no, we bring all of our emotions to our jobs. We, you, you don't get to turn everything off. It is part of who we are and how we experience things. Mm-hmm. I think it's important, and, I'm, and I know this is bold and whatever. Um, if, you, if you truly believe that you can turn things off, you are 
pushing yourself or people you love into sociopath mm-hmm. because people don't just turn things off. That's what creates sociopaths. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's certainly not the way you want to handle life. That's terrifying. Mm-hmm. So to believe you can just turn on and turn off as you walk in and out of certain doors is just, it's unrealistic mm-hmm. It's and it's inhumane. Well, it's also just ego yep. because the truth is outside of that. Sorry, sorry, just to go back to knock in terms of suicide for a moment. Um, I had mentioned uh, briefly changing my beliefs about suicide uh, because I think you're taught as a society that it's selfish, um, that it's uh, that it's heartbreaking for the people who are left behind. And I know we've talked about this on different levels, at, uh, you know, at different times. Um, but he was one of the first people that I was really impacted by personally uh, to understand that sometimes you just need out and it's not about you. Mm hmm. It's about them and that's okay. And mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that you didn't love them enough mm-hmm. or that you didn't love them the right way. Mm. They just need it out. And you you could continue loving them. They could continue loving you. And my relationship, like I said, I didn't know him long. I knew him on the court and that was it. And I got one, one part of him or one piece of him. Uh, my relationship has certainly grown much bigger since he's passed. Mm. And while there are days where I miss his humanness, um, I, I can't trade what I've gained. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When you say wanted out too, I, this was a suicide. So there's a, that's an out. That's the big out. We'll call it. Some people want out. They want out of the job. They want out of school. They want out of a relationship. They want out of, out of a group of friends. Mm-hmm. They want out of certain things because it might be time in cracking that egg that they're discovering something else within themselves. Right. And I, oh, I hope I worded that right because you did for me. Oh, that's good. Um, sometimes we want out of something, and it like, and it even can be where it's time to get out of that job or to quit a certain course in school or something because all of a sudden we realize when we're sitting, you know, maybe in a teacher's ed program, all of a sudden we want out and it's like, geez, I'm not meant to be a teacher. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I've actually got a passion for uh, to be an entrepreneur mm-hmm. or, or to do some, you know, something else, to travel or whatever it is. Sometimes those things, um, we have to create the friction to know who we are. Yeah. And sometimes the partner, the friend group, the the school system, the job system creates that friction for us. Is that good? It is for my life. Yeah. (laughs) And knock was one of those examples. His was just on the biggest scale possible. Yeah. That he, he needed in a big way that he looked at the human experience and said, got to crack this egg. Mm -hmm. Time to grow. Got to go and got to grow. So that's quotable. Oh, that's good. I hope I did knock justice today. I yeah. I, and and I say that for, for both of us, Kelly, because it's a different way, as we've said before, to see suicide. It it it, it is. You know, some people might think, well, how could you ever have said that? I'm the wife that that they cracked the egg. Why did they have to leave me? I'm the daughter. I'm the son. How could you say that leaving me was the best thing for them? And, and, and that is hard to understand for every single human. Mm-hmm. There are not always answers to understand the pain someone feels within their own spirit and within their own life. And that's where I've tried to say, 
you have to sit back and realize that it's not about you. Yes. If someone wants out of a job or a relationship or certain individual things, Mm -hmm. there are different ways, right? There are different ways of walking away. Mm -hmm. Um, I think by the time people suicide, it's more than just one thing they want out of. That's right. And it's not about you. Yeah. It's about them. Yeah. I've had clients on both ends of those spectrums that fully understood that when they've come to connect to somebody as a, with me as a medium who's passed and took their life, who totally understood it wasn't about them, uh, understood that it was about that person's perspective. It could even be about their own pain, yeah. that, they ha- that they wanted out of pain, physical pain, emotional pain, all kinds of different reasons, nerve pain, anything. Um, and some that just could not get past it and made it all about them. Mm-hmm. How could they leave me? Mm-hmm. And that they were in so much of their own anguish that they made the person's death and leaving all about them. Mm-hmm. And this is important to hear today. Yeah. I, I sat in a session the other day hearing about a client's physical pain, like you just mentioned. And I remember looking at him thinking, I would have killed myself. Yeah. And I don't mean that as a joke. A lot of us, you know, we throw that around very lightly. Um, And I just remember him describing everything that he felt on a moment to moment basis. And Mm -hmm. I thought, well, you're inspirational. I sure as shit wouldn't have been wanting out. Yeah. Yeah. And I think if anyone has lived with pain moment by moment, they understand this. And they don't ever judge those people. But if you don't live moment by moment for days or weeks or years of pain, and for some people, indescribable pain, then you don't really understand and you can't. And sometimes for some, that's when they make it about themselves. Well, and I was going to say, I think, you know, maybe there are some people who do have tremendous amounts of physical pain and still do judge suicide because they don't see it as an option for themselves. Oh, true. Right? If they yes. are of the belief that I need to fight, that I was meant to suffer, how many people believe they're oh, supposed to true. suffer? Yes. We can still judge the exit that someone else took. Right. And we make it about them being selfish. Right? right. We, yeah. we, we completely switch the intention. Yeah. And it's the intention really is only about the person who took their own life. Right. Yeah. Number five? Number five. Um, okay. Number five uh, um, is Norman Lear. So Norman Lear is a Jewish gentleman. He's in his 90s. I think he's around 92 or 93. Um, he is, uh, if anyone doesn't know who Norman Lear is, you can certainly Google him. He's a TV producer. He's in the Hall of Fame. He's done movies. He's done everything that you can think of. Um, he's huge in the United States um, in, in um, media. And um, I was listening to one of his TED Talks. He was being interviewed. And the reason he came to me for Men's Month um, was because when he was a child, I think he said he was nine or ten, um, his, uh, he was living with his mom and dad, and the police arrived and took his dad away to prison uh, for things that his dad had done illegally. And his... Um, his mom, he said, was having a hard time in ch- coping with that. But, uh, and of course, if you can imagine police walking into the home, arresting and taking to prison the father, what that is going to do to the financial situation of the family, right. all of the dynamics of that, of that family. And a police officer, I think he said it was a police officer, but I could be wrong. So I'll say, um, yeah, I should change that and say a person. Mm-hmm. 
walked past him, put their hands on his shoulder and said, well, you're the man of the house now. And he said it was the worst moment of his life. He said for the rest of his life, and he's now in his 90s, he has struggled with having to live up to being the man of the house. Mm -hmm. At nine years old, he got put on him that he was, what, like, what does that even mean? I was just, He's a was, kid. Yeah. What does it even mean? He's the man of the house. And he said it is something that he has always struggled with because you're always ha- trying to measure up to some, some idea of something. You're not even sure if you're using the right measuring tool. Yeah. And, and I, would, I would certainly argue that some women would laugh at that and go, what does that even mean? I run it. Mm-hmm. Right? And so now you've got a nine-year-old that's confused thinking he has to run it. Mm-hmm. Well, it puts him, like you say, it puts him in direct conflict then with his mother. Right. At nine. At nine years old. I'm supposed to make decisions. Mm-hmm. I'm supposed to oversee. Mm-hmm. And I'm supposed to take care of you. You can't take care of yourself or, and, and or me. T- yeah, exactly. Taking away that safety that mom is no longer capable of taking care of you. You're the man. Yeah. So, like, I, I, I picked him and, and people can go to that... Um, to the to the TED talk and type in Norman Lear, um, if they would like to to listen to the impact that that had on his life, and and why he made the decisions that he did after that, always struggling with that concept and what it did to make him feel less than a man. Mm-hmm. It didn't make him feel more of one when he became a man, um, as as an adult. I'll say when he got to adult. Um, it made it put him in conflict for the rest of his life, trying to figure out what that looked like. Mm-hmm. Um, and somehow for him, it made it made it awkward. It it made it a challenge, and it made him feel less than. It was almost like there was always a bar in constant failure. Yeah, you don't have the tools. Mm-hmm. Lots of points, so that people can think today. Have they said that to somebody? And and you know. Or, or do, have you thought it yourself? I was just going to say, or do you say it subconsciously? Do you say it by not necessarily that you voice it, but do you treat somebody that way? You know, do you make a child your partner mm-hmm. uh, uh, when they're still a child? Or do you give them what they need to be a child? Mm-hmm. And I am not saying that just to single parents. Somebody might go, oh, there she goes, picking on a single mom. No. What about when a couple moves out and in together for the first time at 20 some years old and the young man thinks, well, now I'm the man of this house and it immediately sets the dynamics in that relationship off that we're not equals. Mm -hmm. (laughs) How do you then have constructive conversations about responsibilities? Who's who's responsible for what, how you're going to divvy up what the house needs well, and can it be that if that occurs, does that young man who now thinks he is to be the man of his ha- of the house, I guess a couple of things could happen. One is he could try and step in and make all the decisions and do all the work. Or two, he could rebel against it and do nothing. Interesting. I'm glad you brought that up. Could he rebel against that being the man of the house? Could he be so angry with the father or the man, the male figure that's leaving? Yeah, that you self-sabotage that, for years. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> fuck. Right? Yeah. So there, like, there, there's di- there are different things that can happen there. But when I, when I listened to that TED talk with Norman Lear and saw his responses, saw how she, he shuts down sometimes in that talk or mm-hmm. where you see, 
um, him kind of stare off and try and think and bring back his memory. It, like he bring trying yeah. to bring back his own memories of that. The, the anger that he felt at the other adult that said that to him. Mm-hmm. Um, the confusion that he felt. And that has, he has felt for many years of his life, many decades. I, you know, that's eight decades. If you are experiencing a loss, and whether it's a death, whether it's a walking out, a parent's walked out, um, a partner's walked out, you're not responsible to be the man of anything. You're responsible to grieve. Mm-hmm. You are responsible to your own emotions and your own health to simply go through the grieving process. And to ask for the help that you need when you need it. That's a job in itself. Mm-hmm. And it's a full-time one. And it doesn't slip under or fall under a medication. Medication might be appropriate to help in certain things in that, and counseling and a variety of things, friendships, family, it can be sports, or, or, or you know what, Kelly, I don't know if I want to say sports, I'll say physical activity. Yeah, let's replace sports with physical activity. Because it could mean a walk. Mm-hmm. It, it can mean playing with the dog. Oh, my God, it can mean five push ups. Oh, a variety of things, good eating, nutrition for the brain. There's a variety of things that we have to do to heal first. Mm-hmm. And, and I think one of the th- reasons why I wanted to bring up Norman Lear in that one is that what happens if we just say you're the man of the house before we say, what do you need? Mm-hmm. Before we say, what help do you need? How are you going to move through this and create all of those things? It shuts down one process to throw somebody quickly into another one. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I want to say that that is part of what we do in sessions with people. It's part of why people see both of us. It's to slow that down and allow them an hour. And an hour, people might think just an hour. Well, some people book a half. (laughs) They give us 30 minutes to help them with it. But we want to pack that with as much as we can to help them figure out the things they need. Well, I think this is really interesting. There's a mutual client that just sat down the other day and told me about a dream, which you're aware of. Uh, where he was sitting in his truck, but he was sitting in the back of his truck. And he, he made the point, that's funny, because I don't sit in the back of my own truck. Um, but in the dream, he was, and there was a blonde driving it, and there was a brunette in the passenger seat. And of course, I knew it was the two of us. Uh, and he goes, and they were driving the car so, so fast backwards. Mm-hmm. And I know that you made the comment that that was time travel. Yeah. But I remember hearing it and thinking, well, isn't that exactly what we do is drive things backwards to the point or the, the, the time or the location where the, the pain hurt or the trigger happened in order for them to start over and go through the grieving process properly. That's my, that is, you've said it perfectly. And, and I've been driving backwards in people's dreams and in my own since I was a child, I know exactly what I'm doing. Yeah, and I know that's a common question that people say. Well, if I come to see you and I want to, cha- I want you to channel my my father, my mother who's passed. Are you going to set me backwards in my grieving? Set you backwards? No. Bring you back to the point where you shut yourself down. Yes, yeah. mm-hmm. and then walk you through it. Mm-hmm. At a pace where you can actually process things. Mm-hmm. And, and I like it that he noticed how fast it was to go backwards. Mm-hmm. And it was like, cool. Then he's really starting to pay attention 
about time. Well, and I think it's interesting that he also knew the direction. Right. Because a lot of people don't even know what direction they're headed in. And I think that speaks volumes of what grief does. Right. We don't. And and you know that that saying, we don't know which way's up. Yeah. Sometimes you don't know which way's forward. (sighs) Kelly, I channeled um, a person. uh, It was over Skype. But we couldn't see each other because my computer wasn't working right. Or hers wasn't. Pardon me. She couldn't see me. I could see her. Or vice versa. I couldn't see her. She yep. could see me. And she asked me if I could get her dad. And I said, oh, he just threw me into the water. And she goes, go on. And I said, and I don't know which way is up. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, I've got heaviness in my chest. I can't breathe. And she said, then you definitely have my dad. He drowned. Mm. And I said, oh, I said, he couldn't tell which way was up. Yeah. So when he was in the water and he kept swimming, but he was swimming further and further down mm. and drowned in there, drowned mm. in the water. So when you say that whole, and I remember being in his body as he kept swimming, going back into the memories. Yeah. And so as I was channeling for her, then all of a sudden a memory would pop up of a birth or there were different things. And she'd go, yes, that's my dad. Keep going. Well, and in dreams, water is emotion. Yes. So, and I know that was channeled and that's in a session, but if you are dreaming and you are drowning, um, water is emotions. Right. So that's what needs to be reflected on. Yes. And felt, you, you've said it a few times in, in this podcast, Kelly, over and over again, beautifully for people that, hopefully what we did in picking these five men and sharing these five men was linking and talking about feeling and emotions for men. Mm -hmm. And that if you're not, if you don't have that ability, your emotional intelligence is very low Mm -hmm. and that all men have to raise their levels of emotional intelligence as well as and equal to women. Right. There are many women that don't have a very high emotional intelligence level either. Well, no. And we're also being told as women to be more like men, right? right. To be seen as equals. So anyway, that's a different issue. But uh, we're focusing on on uh, raising the awareness for men and, and breaking down the social barriers or constructs. Mm-hmm. We've said it before, making us whole humans. Mm-hmm. As opposed to you're supposed to be a male and this is what it looks like and this is you're a female, so this is what it should look like. It's supposed to be that we're human beings and that the experience left and right brained is a whole experience. Yeah. Well, can we also invite people to an, a future podcast show with Karen Barnes that's coming up? Yeah. That we have pre-taped, but we know is coming up that has to do with horses mm-hmm. and has to, uh, to do again with the being a whole being, a whole animal, a whole human left, right side brain. Yeah, for sure. And Karen brings it up in that podcast as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, in the meantime, we thank you for joining us for Men's Month. We had a ton of fun taping uh, mm-hmm. together and also with our guests. Uh, and if you have questions or comments about today's show or anything that you've uh, thought of during this month, please email us at info at com. Have a wonderful Saturday. <laughs>